Sarah Lee, and welcome to the Influence Watch podcast. Those of us old enough to remember the panic over Y2K, a panic that was, as it turns out, mostly driven by fear of the unknown, see a certain resemblance between the year 2000 and today as artificial intelligence, popularly known as AI, joins the party. Its emergence has been met with both excitement and trepidation. Will it make mundane tasks easier? Will it help our kids do better in school? Will large language models infect our discourse with bias? Are the graphics programs going to change art as we know it? Will Skynet become aware? And who will be funding, pushing, and regulating this next phase of tech, of tech innovation? In short, is AI something to fear or something to embrace? Something to turn loose or take in hand? And how much should our always eager government get involved in its development and dispersion? Joining us today to discuss the coming AI revolution is Taylor Barkley, Director of Technology and Innovation at the Center for Growth and Opportunity at the University, at, the, at Utah State University, excuse me. Taylor, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on the show. This is going to be so much fun. Yeah, so I, I just want to set the set the uh, stage here. I saw Taylor at the State Policy Network uh, confab here recently that he was moderating a panel on AI. Um, I had an interest in it anyway, so the panel was great. So tell Mike and me and our listeners exactly what you do there at Utah State University. Sure. So in my role as Director of Technology Innovation, I am overseeing our technology innovation team at the Center for Growth and Opportunity. Uh, there are a group of us who work on these tech issues, and AI is, I'd say, probably one of our top three focus areas. Uh, AI policy will probably be, probably be the dominant tech policy issue in 2024 um, in the states and in the federal government. And the, the Center for Growth and Opportunity, more broadly, we're an economic policy research center. We do academic research. We conduct research with scholars, hundreds of scholars all over the United States on a range of topics, mostly on tech and innovation, immigration, and energy issues, and all with an eye towards how Americans can live a more prosperous and abundant future. Wonderful. So how does AI fit into all of that? <laughs> we'll start, That's a great we'll start question. broad. <laughs> yeah. And we, we, you know, you mentioned the, the panel uh, discussion at uh, SPN's annual meeting uh, last week in Chicago. We did that. Uh, the panel title was, uh, will AI make us more or less free? Okay. Doomer. And, okay. Doomer, which I thought was. The... Okay. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. How could I forget the, the lead title and just mm -hmm. focus on the subtitle? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Doomer. Will AI more, make us more or less free? And, and we did this because we are in this moment where, you know, when, with the launch of ChatGPT in November 2022, you know, almost a year ago, but not quite, uh, you can't, you know, swing a cat without hitting some sort of lead article in newspapers, magazines, websites, social media on the question, what does artificial intelligence mean for society right now? So that, that topic, that, that discussion we had in Chicago was really for the audience, uh, mainly coming from you know, a conservative, libertarian, free market friendly world, you know, looking at it through the lens of freedom. And, you know, we're interested in the AI question at the CGO because this is a technology that will permeate everything. It's not just uh, uh, confined to the, the halls of, uh, you know, I would call it like the technology policy industrial complex of 
you know, in the weeds discussions on, say, consumer privacy law or content moderation law. You know, those are things that do have an effect on Americans and people around the world. But artificial intelligence will will is and has the chance to completely revolutionize every aspect of the economy. And the, the chat GPT launch that took, I think, almost everyone by surprise in in, uh, you know, gosh, every analyst in the world and even tech policy. It's like it took me by surprise. It took analysts by surprise. Other companies, you know, this upstart open AI project, not Google, not Meta, not Microsoft was the one to come out with this uh, this tool that, that I think really, um, I get, you know, use the word surprise again, just cut everyone off guard for how impressive it was and, and what it could do. So that that is the renewed conversation we're having now. And that's why we want to do the research that we're doing just to make sure that policymakers are making informed decisions that are based on uh, solid analysis and not, as you mentioned earlier, Sarah, you know, it's not fear-based. It's not hypothetical worst case scenarios. It's, it's, it's actual facts on the ground and reality based. Mike, you, so, you are champing at the bit over there. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> so I was not at, at this panel. Uh, All right. And I am, we missed you, Mike. Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> although, and although I am not a, a Luddite, uh, I am not, deeply involved in sort of tech anything. Sure. Um, so help me as someone who can only describe the internet as a series of tubes uh, <laughs> to understand what is AI? What do, like, what is it? Why is it a big deal more so than any other sort of technology development in the last 15, 20 years? Mm-hmm. And why should I not be worried that it's either going to take everyone's jobs or turn into Skynet and start a nuclear war? Yeah, those are great questions and a lot there. I'll, I'll try to be brief. So, you know, but if I'm not, you know, shut me up and <laughs> jump in here. So one, you know, I'd, I'd start with, you know, AI, the definition question, Mike, what is it? I think we're still wrestling with that. You know, you look at, I was reading, um, you know, this white paper from uh, Senator Cassidy that you all sent over actually. And they address this as well. You know, it's difficult to define. Every single regulatory body, every single company, academic paper, I think they, they you know, different definitions are coming out. I had I interviewed the president of the International Standards Organization, you know, standard setting body. They're working on this now, and it's like an eighteen month project at least to figure out what the heck we're even talking Just about. Just to name it and define it. That's crazy. Yeah, because um, you know, one one thing I've I forget who is credited, but it's it's not from me, but you know, one thing with artificial intelligence, it's someone said, you know, we, we call something AI when it's when it's new. And then when we're used to it, it becomes machine learning or just software. Uh, you know, we think of chess programs. You know, AI has been around for a while. The term was yeah, I was going to I was going to mention, like when I when I first heard of AI, it was the computer player in a video game. Exactly. Yeah. It's your yeah. Which, you know, text it, too, isn't it? Like on your phone. Yep, you could you could consider that in some cases. Um, kind of depends on what's under the hood. Um, but you know, at some point we probably did call it AI. Um, and you know, and this term has been around for uh, what was it, seventy years now. First coined in the fifties. Uh, you know, Alan Turing and the Turing test was developed, I think, in the sixties. Um, if not, if not in the fifties, I'm getting a couple things happen concurrently. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, because. There was John McCarthy, I think it was, um, and a few other scholars coined the term artificial intelligence in this project. They said, and over the next couple of months, we will determine whether computers can become intelligent. 
And of course, you know, it's, that didn't happen then and it still has not happened. And then Alan Turing had his Turing test paper um, where that was developed uh, all around the same time. And so ever since there's kind of been, you know, these hype cycles of like, all right, this is the moment when, you know, to kind of throw something else in the pile here, when we talk about AI, it's, you know, two different concepts are often conflated, you know, the, the notion of artificial narrow intelligence, which would be like a video game character, maybe that we're fighting against, right? Like an agent in a game that can like dodge my attacks or, you know, str- you know, conduct strategy against my, me or a human player versus uh, that can only do one thing, right? If you release that computer software out into the world, it just does absolutely nothing. Similar to like even the advanced, you know, the chess uh, you know, Deep Blue that defeated Gary Kasparov. I think it was 1997. Can't do anything else. It plays chess. You know, AlphaGo that defeated the Go champion, which at one point was like an impossible computing challenge. They said, no way will a computer ever be able to play Go because there are literally trillions and trillions of options. You can't just brute force it like you would with chess. It computer did that. But it can, that computer can't, you know, drive an autonomous vehicle. It can't, you know, do thousands of other things that like a general intelligence would. And that's the other, that's the other notion here. So there's artificial narrow intelligence. We live with that every day. We experience it now. Our smartphones, you know, Google search could be considered an an artificial narrow intelligence. And AGI, you mentioned Skynet, you know, the (laughs) sci-fi horror scenarios. And if you don't know the term Skynet listeners, you need to, if you're too young, (laughs) go watch the original Terminator. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And there's also, also, if I can jump in, there's also the fear of an artificial super intelligence. An artificial Correct. general intelligence that is smarter than it, than the smartest human being. Right, 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 right. So you have then you know something operating at you know a million times faster than our brain capacity and more powerful and like what would that world look like? And I, you know, we, we are nowhere close to that. <laughs> uh, that has been uh, you know. So I'll, I'll go back to the AGI concept of like, can, is it possible to develop a computer system that say could adapt to as many situations as like a human could? You think about all that we do every day, the complexities of, say, going up and down stairs and then peeling a banana, just like the breakfast routine, right? Imagine a computer doing that, learning that. Um, I think we're very long way from that. And then there's a super intelligence notion, which is theoretical at this point and has prompted a lot of these these fears. And, you know, I, I go back to, um, you know, the, we could have a whole podcast just on that topic. But, you know, one thing I would say is, you know, there's been a lot of discussion on this, you know, prominent names have called for pauses in AI development for this sake, right? Because concerns that like a GPT system is showing signs of like a general intelligence or a super intelligence. And then you can hit this point where theoretically where it runs away from human controllers and does, does nefarious things. Like you know? how from, what is it, 2001? Yeah. And, you know, and all these things there, you know, I, I, I take issue when people use sci-fi scenarios as, uh, you know, evidence in like i mean uh, you know let's talk about like the jetsons debate. i'm just kidding <laughs> exactly yeah so you know we we have like great ai in sci-fi you know c3po r2d2 they're they're friendly they're you know maybe they're bumbling at times but like uh they're bene- they're they're beneficent you know they're not they're not bad and so in sci-fi uh pro you know antagonists tech makes a good villain like it's just an easy story to tell and makes a great villain and so I would just say pump the brakes before using, you know, Skynet as like, you know, point A in a debate, say, on a public policy issue. And, you know, one other thing I'll just add just to maybe wrap up the superintelligence and the fears point is, you know, we, we deal with unaligned uh, superintelligences in a way all the time, like nation states, right? Uh, Russia is maybe perhaps one right now. They've invaded Ukraine. You know, Putin has a number, he has an, 
a lot of brains working on it. He has power. He has a military. Um, there are ways to deal with, even if, say, the worst a worst case scenario develops, like there, there are frictions involved and there are other humans in the loop here uh, that I don't think uh, that, that would provide, I think, some barriers to, say, a computer doing what people claim it could do in these scenarios. And, and, all, and just but to go back, like we are nowhere close to that. I think, you know, to look at the amount of energy that, say, AlphaGo consumed and spent just to do one particular complicated game. I think, you know, venture capitalists said this and it just really it's absolutely true. You know, that computer, like power, capacity and uh, needs of a small town hundred experts working to develop it to do one thing. And then the human player champion uh, of, you know, of go, he was powered by a cup of coffee. The human brain is like, you know, multiple fractions, smaller energy consumption of that computer. And then that human got out and walked across a busy street and went on about his day and did a, a million other things that the computer could no way do. So unless we're like a that, fully that, automated society, we maybe are worrying too much. Is that what you're saying? As long as there's yeah, still a human I, element. Yes. Okay. A human element. I think just kind of like soberly assessing, okay, like what is, so chat GPT, right? If, if you've interacted with it, I've interacted with it. Like there are surprising moments where it'll like have a turn of phrase. It's like, whoa, a computer did that. And I kind of made it like, uh, you know, human-like. I'm putting that in air quotes. And, um, but it, it can't, uh, it has no notion of, like the, <laughs> There's a lot of debate about this, but I would say like there's no it has no notion of what um, I asked it about, like how to sleep train an infant. We have a, a young one year old <laughs> wasn't sleeping well. It has no no like what is an infant? What is sleep training? What is sleep? It is, you know, taking data and correlations from combing the Internet based on other human speech and developing answers based on the, you know, basically the math involved and coming up with maybe even like surprising answers to questions based on that data. Like it is not. Like you or I, the three of us coming from a notion of like, uh, what is an infant? Who am I? The notion of like individuals being two separate beings. I mean, we're, I mean, we're getting like way no, too deep I, here. Yeah, so like, I want to stop you there because you just brought sure. up something that, that actually does concern me about AI. And I love that okay. um, conservatives, I mean, you know, we, we have a point of view in our organization. So I'm going to speak for the conservative yeah. side of things. Um, I like that we're jumping into it. I think that the uh, progressive side of things has been as well. And so it's this mm -hmm. kind of, you know, coming battle between legislators and, and funders who are a lot of them tech uh, and they tend to, to vote a certain way and, and not really friendly to conservative policy, which sure. is where some of the concern co comes from. But I will say this, I enjoy that this battle is happening. Um, mm. I do. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. it shows sort of the, the strength of innovation and the power of innovation and why that's really important um, and why that's sort of the, you know, that that's what's innovation has driven humanity from the beginning. Um, and yeah. this is another Agreed. example of it. Right. And so, you know, I feel like uh, the discussion of how much government gets involved, yes. how much it's regulated, how much it's being funded. You mentioned one thing you said that made me think of it was the, mm. that the, uh, the, the large language models, the chat GPT scours the internet. Well, I've seen news reports for, for, you know, words and language. I've seen yeah. news reports that, you know, have suggested um, that, well, it, it's going to be biased a certain way because the internet doesn't hold um, 
you know, enough information for it to be Mm. biased in the other direction, which I found absurd. So there's already this narrative (laughs) and messaging around it. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, we've talked offline about uh, Chuck Schumer and the Senate having these bipartisan sort of AI forums that are coming up, I think, next week. How much do we want government involved in this? What do we want them to do? Uh, I know you mentioned the white paper we sent, Cassidy. He's yeah. talking about it in terms of the healthcare sector. So what, what do we yep. what do we think about all this? Yeah, I think this is a great point and a good question. So, you know, the reason we, this is important, right, is because AI has tremendous upside to improving all of our lives. I think to, you know, to try provide a little bit of a definition even, Mike, like it's applying intelligence to, you know, many, many more sectors and aspects of life than, you know, we've had, you know, we've been able to apply intelligence to you know, up to this point. So, you know, envisioning a world where we all have maybe an administrative assistant who that, I will say that, organizes our calendar and maybe helps us like go through the day instead of like, <laughs> I like having that to you hire an actual right. person. I love that you use that instead of who. That's fantastic. Yes, it's important. It's important. <laughs> and so, I mean, this is just like one conception and, you know, this, you know, News this week of AI helping in drug research. Like there's a lot of upside in innovation, improving people's lives, length of life, quality of life, um, boosting the economy. And that's what's at stake, Sarah. And that's why the policymaker discussion is so important because policymakers, uh, I think, you know, they have different motivations all over the place. But getting a policy framework wrong at this point, say, could have uh, very bad consequences for us down the road. So say, you know, policymakers follow this AI pause notion said, you know, no, I don't even know how it'd be possible to regulate it, but said no developers can produce artificial intelligence systems for six months or a year or whatever, or you need to get a license before your model is released. That would have innovation killing effects. So that's why I have appreciated, you know, Chuck Schumer's, I don't agree with him on most things, but I've appreciated at least his, his approach here of, listening of uh, not jumping in headfirst with, say, creating a new federal agency or, uh, you know, a law and, you know, convening in this group of people, which is, you know, a decent mix of prominent scholars. You know, I, you know, I noted like, okay, it's going to be interesting seeing Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk uh, in the same room with, you know, a Tristan Harris at the Center for Humane Technology, which you know, that, well, that or, a, or a Liz Schuler of the AFL or a Randy Weingarten yes. of the Teachers Union. Yes, exactly. Like, <laughs> like, like, you know, because because I mean, they'd be probably be coming from the point that I think a lot of people, not just on the not just on the left, mm-hmm. would say that, well, geez, this AI is being cre- you know is being created, you know, I do a semi-routine job that a an old fat you know the robots of five years ago couldn't do but what if the robots of five years from now can do my job yeah uh, then i'm in trouble <laughs> yeah i mean and that's you know you mentioned job loss earlier in your question mike and you know that's something that there will be job impacts there jobs will be affected here um there will probably be job losses but what we've seen throughout the history of technology that whenever there's losses there are jobs created you know if you time traveled 50 years ago and said, Hey, you know, grandfather, uh, I'm an app developer. Like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, and you know, ATMs you were concerned about killing banks and actually created more jobs in banks because banks realized they could, you know, take people from those mundane jobs and they open more branches essentially. 
Yeah, yeah. The, 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 as, as the as the basic routinized things were superseded yes. by things that are more interesting and frankly that are more pleasant jobs to do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, in this room when Schumer convenes this, it'll be fascinating to hear the discussion. I think opinions will be all over the map and there is this kind of left-right divide on what's important. You know, I'd say more progressive center-left audiences concerned about, you know, issues of bias and in the like um, maybe racial and gender aspect you know sarah you'd mentioned bias and maybe information and i think you know whether whatever side you're coming from i think that's why it's important to keep government out here because whenever a lot of these ideas proposed from like governmental solutions having to do with issues of bias means kind of putting some sort of control on essentially speech like we're talking about software here still and um any sort of like quotas or on on speech issues i mean we have a first amendment for these reasons and i think we don't want to lock in kind of the tech of today, even the models of today. We want to leave it as open as possible, as competitive as possible, which is why it's really important to see these large language models and AI models coming from, say, like a licensed perspective of OpenAI or Google. And then the open source, like, you know, Meta has released Llama 2, mm-hmm. like a large language model that anyone can use. And then I've heard, you know, companies are just starting to use and deploy to launch new products. And uh, there is a discussion having like, is that too dangerous? You know, is Meta being irresponsible? Should the government ban open source? And I like that's going to be a net negative and a harm on, I think, everything that everyone here cares about. Because the more competitive ecosystem that we have, the uh, the more optionality we'll have, and I think to go towards the tools that I think help serve us and society best. Yeah, and I think and people getting... too that use these things they self regulate. I mean, I know that when uh, you know sort of the yeah. open source stuff first started coming out about the internet, browsers and things like that. Mozilla was one of the early ones that I remember. Um, yes, there were a lot of people who were. Um, doing some of the work of regulating some of the bad stuff that were just out there in the wild. And maybe they yep. had their own interests in why they wanted their kids not to see certain things. And, and a lot of it, it didn't need to be handled by government. So I would, I don't mind legislation regarding yeah. AI. I would like to see them write legislation that says, Hey, hands off a little bit. Right. <laughs> yeah. I like that. And you know, the, um, the American legislative exchange council developed model, policy for states on basically exactly that. So it was a resolution that, you know, states could take and use and introduce in their own state houses on, uh, you know, adopting a permissionless innovation framework. And it's, you know, permissionless innovation is not a, you know, an anarchic model. It's a, you know, let the evidence lead first, um, not basing it on hypothetical worst case scenarios, um, as Adam Thierer says, but like, uh, if, you know, when something bad happens, then we, we look at that evidence. And if there's a public policy solution, solution to it, we adopt it. And that's something, too, that, you know, is missing from this. A lot of these AI discussions in public policy space is that AI is already like very heavily regulated. Uh, there are already laws in the books, you know, prohibiting bias and hiring, for instance. Uh, there, you know, every every federal agency basically has come up with some. Yeah, Cass- saying, Cassidy's, Cassidy's white paper made it seem like a lot of the. Uh, a lot of the government contact with AI, mm-hmm. at least in the short run, is going to be where there is an assumption that it has violated existing law. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, CFPB and SEC and like anything that an artificial, like an AI system would do, like is is probably falling under underneath some sort of jurisdiction already. Like there may need, may need to be updating in language. And there's a big question of, you know, who is liable, right? So say an AI model, uh, 
crosses some sort of line legally? Like, is it the company that used it? Is the company that developed it? Is the person who hit, you know, enter and, you know, you know, commanded it to do something like are, who go, who is like liable for the fine or whatever the consequences might be? I think we're sorting that out right now in real time. So what would you like to see happen then? So let's say these um, these bipartisan uh, AI forums, I think is what they're calling them, happen. Some good discussion happens. Um, I personally am a little bit worried about some of the people funding this stuff. Um, Sam Altman of, of OpenAI worries me a little bit. He supports things like universal basic income. And I'm like, ah. So I do worry sure. about some of those. And my, my understanding is he's also already run to Congress demanding regulation now that yes. Conveniently, his yeah, because I mean they did they did ChatGPT, so they're like the yes. one that everybody's heard of. They're the and yeah. like it'd be like, it'd be like if Z, it'd be like if Xerox went to went to Congress and were like, oh, we need to stop making copy machines. <laughs> we need to regulate copy machines. Yeah, and like you know, what do you know? Like the regulations will go right up to the point of like being applicable to their yeah. except uh, for Xerox, technology. they get to do everything. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and you know, what do you know? It hurts their competitors. Um, so you're absolutely right. Like there, uh, we do need to be critical of that sort of those attempts for what was called regulatory capture. I think that was very telling that hearing, I think it was July with Sam Altman up there, you know, begging and getting all the senators there very excited about, you know, regulating. I think he even said, you know, you need to be worried about and regulate GPT-4, like it's or five, not, you know, four. So um, very convenient to him. And, you know, um, this is what, another reason, like, regardless of, yeah, everyone's proclivities here are different. And I'm not aligned, certainly, with everyone involved in developing these, this technology. But that's why we need this kind of open system and to ensure that public policy and regulation doesn't enshrine, like, the top top performers. I mean, there's concerning thing that Microsoft is out there calling for a licensing model, right, that would of essentially course. make that's open how, source That's illegal. how Microsoft yeah. works, yeah. <laughs> and, it, I mean, and... They've said publicly too, like all these folks, they're applying the lessons learned of the last 20 years in tech policy. You know, um, Microsoft learned the hard way with antitrust in the 90s. Um, so 30 years, you know, in their case. Um, and the social media fights the last 10 years, uh, trying to get ahead of the curve and kind of placating policymakers on the front end. Uh, I think, you know, I, I don't want to like in, get into people's motives on why, but I can understand it's, it's a much easier tactic to kind of get on the, the friendly side of, of policymakers now instead of being, you know, hauled up. 10 years into your technology launch, like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg was. And I think they, they and if took, you, and if you can kneecap notes. a couple of, and if you can kneecap a couple of competitors in the process, you know, yeah. better. Yeah. Well, so what I would like to see, I'm sorry, go ahead, Taylor, finish that thought. <laughs> well, yeah, your, your question, Sarah, yeah. what I would like to see happen here is I think for policymakers to, to go through this soberly, um, slowly to figure out what is the, the tailored application here, where does public policy really have, um, a role to play, you know, Sarah, you mentioned the self-regulation. Any technology, there are multiple, multiple um, governance points, right? You and I, individuals, or local communities, cities, culture, society, local government, state government, federal, company agreements, on and on and on, uh, have ways and have and are dealing with and mitigating risks of new technologies. So, you know, federal government, state government, they're one option out of many. So a sober approach, a slow approach, figuring out where the gaps are, filling those gaps, using policymakers should use their platform to educate all of us, right? To not be the ones leading, say, on a panic approach, but to say like, hey, I'm meeting with the experts. Here's what they're telling me. Here's what I've learned. You know, this is the honest assessment of it instead of, uh, you know, using it to maybe grandstand or get get eyeballs. Yeah. And I, and I wanted to say, too, um, I'm a cynic with the best of them. Mike knows that. 
but <laughs> referring to your kneecapping competitor, which certainly competitors, which certainly would happen. I also think that humanity has an interesting tendency when things are sort of mm. existential. We yeah. kind of do come together and work together a little bit. It's true. Yeah. And so I think this is one of those, I don't know if I'd call it existential, but it's certainly a revolutionary moment in tech yeah. and technology. And um, if these if these guys can come together and actually get things done in a sort of a bipartisan way, maybe I'm being too much of a Pollyanna, not enough of a cynic, but I I have faith that maybe they can do a little bit of that, maybe at the outset, and then it just gets all gross in the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, one thing that could upend to this is just some additional surprise and an advance in an AI system. Um, you know, we were, we were in a bit of that kind of... The, the frenzy in the what, the early part of this year, it seemed to have calmed down a little bit. But, you know, whatever new tech comes out next, you know, we should be ready for that with, you know, sober, solid research uh, and tools for policymakers, for friends, family, people involved in the process just to take in to be able to use and not let the... Um, I mean, you know, there are there are people out there who I think, for whatever reason, are you know calling for these draconian regulations, new federal agencies because they're motivated by this you know super intelligence worry, which is, gosh, it's just seems like it's, to me just so far from happening. Um, it's kind of like you know, sure, we should put some resources into looking at like a potential catastrophic asteroid, like a world-ending asteroid hitting the Earth. There's a non-zero chance that happens, but we don't need to devote. Like we don't need to pause all space travel or like pause civilization before we figure out and, the asteroid and problem. Close, close, close down half the government to, you know, we, we can just have NASA, you know, just take it out of the NASA budget. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, let's, you know, let's, let's go appropriately treat the issues here and like realize that whatever regulatory solutions we come up with, there are, there are costs, there are trade-offs to all this. And I think one of the, some of the trade-offs could be like actual lives and quality of life um, by slowing down uh, advances in, artificial intelligence development. Mike, you have any final uh, questions you want to ask? Uh, no, I think mine have all have been addressed. Yeah, it's a pretty wow. heady, heady co- uh, topic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, you know, for, li- for listeners, if it is heady, I think, you know, you just go use Bing chat, go use Google Bard, uh, you know, check out Llama, check out GPT. These are all free to use. Um, and, you know, there's plenty to read on this topic. Um, but, you know, do it, check it out for yourself, first of all, and just, you know, stay tuned because, when the story is not done, we're figuring it out. We're in the midst of it. It can feel uncomfortable and scary at times, but you know, history has shown us that it's going to trend positive. Yeah, and you've got people, also listeners. You've got people like us who are standing here trying to make sure that things go the right yes. way. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly, Sarah. Yes. Yeah. So, thank you so much, Taylor, for joining us. This has been a really interesting uh, it's conversation. Been fun. Thank you. Yeah. And, Thanks so much. Yeah, and as always, guys, you can find us wherever you find your podcasts. Um, Mike always says, and I think I can kind of quote it, um, give us a five-star review because that really helps us get more listeners. That's right. (laughs) Mike's a regular host. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys. We'll be back again next week with another fascinating um, topic. And thanks for listening and we'll talk soon.